Electronic Specifier. Hello there and welcome back to Electronic Specifier Insights. Today we are joined by Stefan, a security consultant at SEC Consult. So hi Stefan, thanks for joining us and how are you today? Hi Paige, I'm great, thank you. Excellent. So let's start, please, with an introduction of yourself and your background. Okay. So my name is Stefan Roberts, and I work as a security consultant at SecConsult. And I'm doing here mostly embedded system security pen testing, and also some OT security, as well as everything that's kind of attached to it as web security, mobile pen testing, kind of whatever comes around, but mostly focusing on embedded systems. And my background, I studied uh, electrical engineering. And then just went on to do an internship at SecConsult where I got more into like the pen testing side of more like IT related things. And I just stayed here because it was a lot of fun. Fantastic. That sounds great. <laughs> so could you also give us a bit of a background on, on the company as well, please? Sure. So SecConsult is an IT security co- uh, consultancy. So we offer security audits uh, for banks and pretty much every industry that somehow needs to be pen tested, which should be everyone but in the best case. And which is uh, special about SecConsult that we also operate a vulnerability lab. So here we just think about new research topics or interesting things that haven't been checked in terms of security, acquire them somehow, and then we go at it and uh, try to find new vulnerabilities here. Brilliant. So uh, we're going to be talking about electronic shelf labels and, and security today. But before we, we start on that in more detail, could you first explain what an electronic shelf label or an ESL tag is and how it works? Sure. So an ESL tag usually is just a small device that consists of a mostly a display on the front and then a battery that's supposed to last multiple years. So the display, therefore, usually is an e-inked display. And then it will just have some sort of wireless communication that you can use to communicate with it and refresh whatever is being displayed on it. So that's why a lot of times these are being used as like store tags, for example. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. So as, as you say, ESLs are sort of increasing in popularity and more stores are switching their price tags to digital ones. So what advantages do ESLs offer over more traditional price tags? So in our research, we figured out that a lot of stores like to change to it because it offers a more convenient price changes. So instead of you going around with like a sticker gun and changing the price tag for each item, you can now just sit at your computer and set all the items in the store to the right price automatically. And also, uh, it's easier to communicate with the customer because most of these tags also have some sort of like flashing LED or something. So you can have a sale and, for example, have that tag for the sale item be flashing. So this draws customers to it and essentially makes the product sell better. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Makes sense. Since ESLs are deployed in, in an open environment, they're obviously susceptible to many attacks that threaten the wireless operation. So what would be some of the consequences of, of an ESL system being hacked or manipulated? So consequences we could mostly think about would be something like we obstruct the retailer by displaying fake prices, no prices at all, just confusing people pretty much. So people would get annoyed with the store and move on to a different one. So you could probably potentially blackmail the retailer. Another option would just be um, to display, for example, a QR code for like a new sale item or like a discount coupon. So deploy a phishing site behind it. So people would trust it since it's being displayed in the store on the right item and then go visit that coupon and give us like their personal information and passwords. But then we could also think of this being kind of like a thing to be used in the maker market because those tags are pretty cheap. And now that we are able to play around with them, you could actually get seven-inch displays for just a couple bucks and use them for any arbitrary hobby project. 
Mm, right. Okay. So how can set consult help to detect sort of these vulnerabilities before they're exploited? So the main thing here to do is to have us integrated pretty much in the design process of electronics and have them tested at every development stage. Because if you want to do it right, you have to start by the architecture right in the beginning to consider security already. If you're just trying in the end to patch security onto a product, that usually won't work properly and you'll always find so many ways around it. So the best way here would be to just have us test it before it goes into the market. Mm-hmm. And, and following on from that, I understand that in your job, you focus on retrieving and reverse engineering firmwares in order to find vulnerabilities. So can you tell us about this process and how exactly it, it uncovers these vulnerabilities? Sure. So obviously firmware is kind of the key to finding vulnerabilities since this is what essentially the product will do. So we usually try different ways. There's kind of like a lot of gut feeling to it. Uh, what would be the easiest way to get it done? Usually, uh, sometimes you can just find the firmware on the manufacturer's webpage, which is obviously the easiest part because you just download it and have it. Another option would be just intercepting wireless communication, especially with something like a Wi-Fi connection or Ethernet connection. Just uh, play man in the middle and capture the firmware being downloaded. If that all is not available or doesn't work, there's options. If you have, for example, a root shell on a Linux device, you can just dump the block devices to get the flash contents. If that's not an option, we just go in and open up the hardware, search for debug headers. A lot of times you can um, find unpopulated headers that are usually a debug header for JTAG or SWD. And then we just dump the memory of those debug protocols. Or another common method we use is we uh, unsolder the flash chips, actually. So like, for example, a TSOP NAND memory. And we uh, developed an own tool for this. It's called the SEC extractor, which just uh, reads those flash memory into a binary file. And then we get the firmware from there. So once this is done, you kind of just start playing around with it. Either you can just fully reverse the firmware, which depends on the product a lot, how exhaustive you have to get in this process. It can take months. It can just take like very short times if it's badly written to find it, but you never really know beforehand. So another thing we do is we just intercept the device communicating with like the backend server or something, kind of looking at what's going on and trying to then find patterns. So with the text, for example, I would start by just printing one line, then I start adding a second line to it and kind of seeing how the data that's being transmitted, how the patterns change in it. And by that, deriving how the protocols work and then being able to speak them myself. Mm, Excellent. Now, I understand that you've analyzed a 433 megahertz connection of a popular ESL tag and identified multiple security flaws. So could you talk us through your process of analysis and what exactly the the flaws were that you discovered? Yeah. So I started by just uh, looking at the FCC files because most things that's RF uh, always have the FCC filings and they're obviously public knowledge. So you can just look at them at the test reports. Uh, So that gave me some information about the frequency being used and the modulation types being used. Actually, what was pretty interesting about this here is that there was a difference between the base station of the ESL tag, so kind of what connects to your computer, and the actual tag. So there are different modulations listed, which is kind of weird if the thing is supposed to communicate with each other. So something weird is going on with those FCC files that I don't know too much about how legal it is, because it just turned out that the files were kind of wrong for the tags. Um, One listed ASK modulation and the other side listed a GFSK modulation. It turned out to be GFSK for both of them. So obviously the the FCC files for the tag itself seem to be wrong. And also the frequency listed in it was wrong. 
or at least slightly offset to what was uh, filed. So don't really know how that uh, affects the legality of this product and using it in your store. But yeah, once I knew that, I just uh, used the software-defined radio. In my case, it's a hacker. It's kind of like a cheaper couple hundred bucks uh, software-defined radio that you can hook up to your laptop to capture of traffic. And I just captured some traffic, um, changed the picture being uh, shown on the tag, and saved that to my computer. And then to first have like the simplest attack, I just replayed that traffic and checked if the tag would change the picture again. So in my case, it did. So now I was able to pretty much change the price on the tag back to an older price that was sent previously as long as I captured it beforehand. So just a very sim- uh, simple attack, but showing that there definitely is potential because there's no bigger checks going on of timestamps or anything like this. So after this, I started to... Um, look at my samples that I took and just decode them as a GFSK data and figure out protocol parameters like the baud rate being used. And from there, I just manually decoded a couple of those frames that were being transmitted and stored them as binary data to have a look at the different patterns and how they change. So from there, I was able to derive four different frame types that were being used to communicate with the ESL tag. And once all of that was figured out, I then went ahead and built a you know, radio sketch for the SDR to be fully able to receive all the frames automatically so I don't have to do it by hand anymore, which took a lot longer. So that was something uh, I think it took me like, in the end I got pretty fast, so in the end I, I was able to capture like a whole picture in I think like about an hour by hand, but still way too long to have any actual progress in this. So with the radio, I was able to build a sketch that's able to receive the data and do the timing corrections to the signal, do the cross-correlation to find the start and preamble in the data, and then just uh, shift it out over UDP port to like a Python script so all my coworker could join me in reverse engineering efforts, because it works always a lot better in Teams than it does on your own. And yeah, now I was able to actually receive those, and I wrote a Python script to understand the protocol being spoke, and I could... Um, build the pictures back again, so now I was able to receive RF data on my laptop and render the images being sent. So now that I fully understood the protocol, obviously, since I was able to render it, it's also easy to actually just speak the protocol, so I figured I'd build now a, my own GNU radio sketch as a sender and just uh, send my own pictures, so I have ended up sending the second cell logo, which is like this one up here, to the price tags, and they would depict it without any information necessary, besides like an ID that's printed, obviously, uh, on the outside of the tag, and which you can also sniff on the RF interface if someone's changing the prices. So that one's pretty much public knowledge, and now you can just go around to the supermarket and change any tag you want. Wow. Okay, fantastic. <laughs> so what were the resulting sort of hypothetical consequences then of, of the security vulnerabilities you discovered? Well, kind of the, the ones that we expected that you could have. So now that you can depict anything you want on the store's tags, you could pretty much just blackmail the retailer, which is probably the most lucrative version of like getting monetary value out of this exploit. Otherwise, I don't think it has that high of reta- uh, impacts because it's kind of a limited attack since you won't actually change the price in the cash register. So it's not we are not able to buy products for cheaper now. Actually, we got some information about where the tags are used elsewhere, which made this a little bit more interesting, but probably also a little bit more edge case because the tags weren't only just used in supermarkets. Um, they were also used in storage facilities to label um, where uh, things are being stored in, shelf le- uh, in the shelves. 
and one of those shelves was actually um, part of a power company and was there, uh, saving the spare parts for power grids. So this made it a lot more interesting because those parts you probably won't be able to tell by hand what they're rated for or what the rated voltages are. And maybe you're able now to trick like uh, a maintenance persons to um, fix a power grid with wrong parts, which would essentially take it down for longer periods of time. Or a different case was a storage uh, facility for court cases in China. So we are able to uh, switch around where what court case is being stored. Pretty much confuse the whole system about it and probably you're not able to find the actual documents for your court cases and we could prolong uh, court cases, which has a lot more impact now. Yeah, definitely. That certainly sounds much more serious. I sort of understand that you were also able to discover the original manufacturer of, of the tag labeled microcontrollers. So what, what consequences does this have? So when we're looking for debug access, obviously it matters a lot um, what architecture is being used. Also for reverse engineering, you always need to know what the architecture is. This label, the microcontroller, was just labeled as ETAG M1. But obviously ETAG M1 is not an actual microconductor uh, producer. So we boiled the package in hydrosulfuric acid and we were able to find ST markings on the actual chip die. So it's manufactured by ST microelectronics instead. And then deriving from the package size and the pin counts, we were able to tell that it's an STM8 microcontroller. And therefore, we now know the architecture and can properly reverse the firmware from it. Mm. Okay, fantastic. So following on from that then, how can someone go about assessing an, an IoT device for security vulnerabilities without any prior known research? So usually what you just need is to get your hands on the electronic device. You usually want to have multiple of those because in the process of taking them apart, you usually always break one or two. So usually when we perform a test, we always ask for at least three devices. So we have one or two that we can destroy and have at least a third one to show off that we're actually possible to do something now. And then mostly it's just getting started with it, playing around with it, exploring all the different features that this thing has and maybe opening it up checking for headers is there anything interesting like sticking out a lot of this is kind of like a gut feeling like you just throw stuff at it and uh, see if anything behaves oddly or weirdly different than you expect and if it does just kind of keep digging at it until you find something and kind of make sense of it what's going on and happening here well a, a recent report has estimated that the global esl market will reach 1.92 billion dollars by 2025 so how do you see the, the ESL technology evolving in the future and, and what additional security risks might this bring, if any? So I think it will um, be a lot more prominent in stores. We see a lot of new build stores switching to ESL tags and I'm guessing it will just only increase over time. More and more stores will have it, so more, more and more stores will become vulnerable to this because there's also no way of patching those vulnerabilities once they're enrolled because you can't update firmware on these tags. Also, since the market will probably get more competitive, that usually leads to shorter development times and usually also less budget and less time spent on security measures. So I'm kind of suspecting that it will get worse until there's enough hype around it to kind of push security to a better standard again. Mm, of course. I mean, that leads me quite nicely onto the next question, which is, you know, as, as developers and consumers are becoming more conscious regarding sort of privacy and safety of, of these types of devices, protection must improve. So what what security implications do you see being deployed in the future? So this is always a really hard question to answer because obviously it's predictions about the future and security and that's always very hard. But we are guessing 
well, kind of like the the world that we wish for is that just every company that develops something, like no matter if it's just a web application or an actual physical device, will just involve some sort of security person from the beginning of the project. You start by driving up a security architecture with security in the mind right away from the start. And then at every major development stage, you will just conduct an independent security um, test of it so that other people who completely don't know what's going on kind of have to make the, up their own mind models and play around with this. Because you kind of get stuck in your ways you think about security once you develop something. And having somebody completely unrelated have a look at it just brings in a whole new new view of how you could run security or how security could be bypassed. So yeah, we're just hoping more people will check their stuff and uh, then everything will get better, obviously. Yes, hopefully. Some great insights there. So before we finalize, is there anything else you'd, you'd like to discuss on this particular topic? Sure. So kind of one issue we, we are having with like this sort of embedded security pen testing is that it's actually very hard to find employees for this. Because you kind of have to have a lot of knowledge in electrical engineering, so like an electrical background, but you also at the same time need to have IT security relevant background or at least be interested in this in like your free time and learn about it. So that's why we're like always looking for new people in case anybody's listening that's interested in this view. Me personally, I think it's a great field to be into because it's a thought after. A lot of people uh, are interested in it and in the skills and it's just great to see how different products work and you kind of get thrown into a new project every other month and uh, get to take stuff apart from atms to cars and just have a look at it so if anybody's interested <laughs> feel free to shoot me an email or uh, contact set consult yeah brilliant that's an excellent point you've raised and it's definitely important to try and encourage more people into the industry so thank you for that and thank you very much for for the rest of your insights in this topic it's been a pleasure speaking with you yeah thank you for having me on this podcast electronic specifier